Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, episode 160, Sam 5, in a feast for crows and outro to Sam. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes. What a journey. Indeed. What a journey we have taken on this ship, on this ship here to Old Town. Uh, I can't believe we're at the very end of Feast, the last chapter of this Feast for Crows. I'm excited to jump into it. Uh, I think we have some rather exciting news that we're going to get to in just a few minutes about what comes next after Sam. I know everyone at home is just dying to hear it. Yes, they are dying to hear it. But I think that the news that we're going to tell them might give them life. First, look, though. look, chill out for a second, Eliana. <laughs> chill out for a second. I know, Let's talk I'm, about I'm our Patreon to, episode. I'm trying to play it cool. So <laughs> we'll start out, yeah, with our Patreon episode. We've made a few adjustments to this month's concept. As we said, it's going to be April Fools, inspired by our queen, oh my Chloe. God. Chloe Nero. Aries season. Aries season ends. When you're listening yes. to this, Aries season is going to be over. Oh, no. But only in, only in real life, not in real life. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> yes. So, as we told you all before, we are going to be talking about the fools in A Song of Ice and Fire. We've already covered the biggest fool of all, March, March Shroom. And... <laughs> We had also said before that we are going to do the Mummers and the Mummer Troupe when we do the Bravos episode, but we realized that, you know, song and singers are such like a big part of A Song of Ice and Fire, so. Yeah, I, I honestly, I pressed for bards and songs, you know, that, that I feel like could be a whole episode onto itself. I don't want to take away from that, and I think there are so many fools to talk about, and we're finding, like, some very great real life fools to mm. talk about as well. Like there's this one guy that's like the farting fool or something. I don't know. We're going to talk about it on our Does Patreon bonus episode. It's going to be me later, man. Uh, if you're not already, <laughs> patrons in the stranger tier and above get access to bonus episodes every single month. We did March Shroom for March and that was a blast. It's really getting me excited for Hot D, getting me excited for Ice and Fire Con this weekend. I'm excited. I know we're visiting HDM for our bonus episode next month, right? We'll be back in the world of Philip Pullman. So keep your eyes peeled there for our friends that are both patrons for both. Uh, and patrons of the $10 tier and above get a few perks, right, too. Yes, patrons in the $10 tier and above are being recruited for a war. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Jesus. So we are having our own... Dance the Dragon Civil War, kind of, not really, our own House of the Dragon. And by that, I mean the brunch this month is split between two factions. The Greens versus the Blacks in one corner. <laughs> it's Alicentiana or Ellie. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Said, I don't know. Uh, We're working on it. And Clanira, which just sounds <laughs> Actually, like an STD. Actually, that sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, I don't know, like a... a you know, erectile dysfunction medication or something. Something you get prescribed for not fun things. I feel like Clanira should not be said. Yeah. Where's the Clanira is? I don't know. We're doing brunch slash happy hour. Every month we do it. However, this is a little different. It's with a twist, with the green and the black twist. April 24th at 11.45 a.m. I will be hosting a live brunch at Ice and Firecon. What does that mean? 
Brunch slash happy hour will be meeting in the lobby, 11.45 a.m. Come with your mimosa, your Bloody Mary, your coffee, your tea, uh, whatever you need. The hair of the dog, the Sunday morning of the con. Hang out for an hour. 12.45, I gotta skate. I have a panel with hmm. that one guy from Not A Cast. Whatever. And I'm just kidding. It's poor Quentin. You know of him. I know Allegedly. of him. Uh, we're uh, we're doing a panel. Oh, I know of him. And we're doing a panel. <laughs> Uh, on what comes after the snow, right? After T-Wow. What happens in the endgame of Thrones? That's going to be fun. We're going to argue. Doing a panel with Zach from Game of Owns, as we talked about last week, and Hannah. That's going to be a great reunion. But this brunch will be right before that Sunday 1 p.m. panel. So come hang out for an hour. Get to know you in person. I have a very, very tiny gift for you if you come hang out at brunch. Mm. Uh, And... I, I won't lie, I think this brunch we're going to leave open, not just to, to patrons, but anyway, to Ice and Fire Con, if you're listening and you want to stop by, swing by and hang out in the lobby Sunday, uh, 11.45, I'll be there. But Eliana, for those of you that cannot be at Ice and Fire Con, which I know is a lot of you, Eliana will be here at our Discord for our patrons in the Thunder Tier and above. I see how it is. Chloe said not just the patrons. She's amassing even more banners. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those and of you... And I have dragons, bitch. Know, right? They have more dragons. So on the side of the greens, uh, those of us online on the Discord, we are going to be playing a different kind of reindeer games. I have new reindeer games oh, for no. us to play uh, on 11.45 Eliana's standard time, as Chloe likes to say. Again, that's accessible to folks in the Thunder Tier and above on our Discord, where there are also other fun things throughout the days that are not just those days. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I know one of the best parts of a point of view in our Song of Ice and Fire series is, is Sam, for example, we're at the last chapter, and patrons... In the Thunder Tier and above, already know. They already know what's next, what's to come. They know where we're starting next. I I guess it's time, though. It's time for the public to know. You know, we can't keep our secrets forever. Almost, not quite yet. So I will, I will remind everyone that, you know, oh the next God. POV starts after our His Dark Materials episodes, with which we are going to close out the month. So next week is going to be a His Dark Materials episode. Yes, April's Fools and His Dark Materials, and we're getting to the end of that book. And when you get to the end of the books, Eliana, you tell people what the next POV is. <laughs> Unless you're really mean. <laughs> I am. Eliana doesn't want to tell you guys. I am really mean. She is looking at right. me like, why are we telling them? We have to tell them. We have to tell well, them. And so, so you know, we should just, st- we should start back. What? Wait, Eliana, wait, are you telling me that we're starting that far back? Like, like back to the first prologue back? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's exactly what she's saying. Wow. Oh. Yeah, we are doing a very specific POV, which is all of the prologues. All of the prologues as one POV. I'm excited to start with Will in a Game of Thrones and move from there. We will have a couple of excellent guests on. I'm really excited, actually, about our guests. We will be announcing those in the time to come. And we'll go through each of the prologues. Yeah. I, I, what are you most excited for of the prologues? 
Well, first of all, it's kind of funny, you know, we got a couple of different wills. We got our will in HDM, we got our will for the prologues of <laughs> Agat, and I mean, as you said, like, I'm actually really excited to go through this with some of our friends. It's going to be like a fun sort of anthology, you know, like, we usually spend so much time in like one perspective in POV. So it's going to be really something to go through this kind of rapid fire between a lot of different perspectives. We, we haven't really gotten to do that. It's like a lightning round of all lightning rounds, yeah. right? It's like prologue, 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 prologue. We will, with this knowledge, we will be doing the epilogues also as a POV. Keep your eyes peeled for when they happen. Fuck, I, I mean, it could be, you never know. Keep it peeled. You never it know. could be but, under your chair, just like Tivo. Uh, it could be. Uh, was that a hit, technically? It's not. Because um, Tivo's not there. Yeah, I know that we will do what Crescent's next. That's going to be fun. We'll get Stannis out of our system once and for all. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We have a Melisandre chapter someday, too. Yeah, we have a couple of people lined up, and I mean, we're just going to torture them, you know? It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited so, for them. Hey, you know, if you find me at Ice and FireCon, I could be bullied. I could be fed or dranked to, you know, give out a name. A girl says a name. <sighs> yes. But then I'll be in big trouble with Eliana, so keep that in mind. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think we could give out the names of, maybe... Maybe if you if you try hard enough, you can get winkle a few names out of some folks for the guests. But I don't yes. mind that. I only mind the POV reveals. The a gracious I, queen, Alicentiana. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but we might uh, pass the gift of torture on to a few other people for other things coming up <laughs> after. <laughs> there you go. They the don't know what's coming. Keeps on giving. They don't Girls gone gifting. Yeah. They don't know. They don't, they don't know. know. Well, as we start back, we must get to the end for Sam. But before we do so, let's talk about what we missed between Sam Four and Sam Five in A Feast for Crows. Cersei eight. Cersei decides to plant seed to prove Marjorie's treason. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> These words are uh, Brienne 7. Brienne protects innocence at the inn at the crossroads. Jamie 6. Jamie parlays with the Blackfish, later leveraging the Lord of Riveron to get what he wants. Sounds way sexier than it probably was, <laughs> but you know, him and those Tullys. Jamie and those Tullys. <sighs> Cersei 9. Tyena helps Cersei plot, asking to keep some of the Tyrell innocence out of her line of fire. Osney Kyleblack agrees to Cersei's plans with a stipulation of his own. His dick. Oh, yeah. The princess in the tower. After watching her very careful plan smash to smithereens and brains on the sand, <laughs> Arianne is confined to a tower. Doran reveals part of his master plan to her. Probably a few years too late. Oh, Doran. Yep. <laughs> Elaine, too. Sansa's rewarded for doing so good at her professional babysitting gig that she gets the offer of a maybe husband. Good for you, I guess. I don't know. Littlefinger loves to give people shit that he can't give them. You know what I mean? Like, that's not yours to give, bro. Right? <laughs> Brienne 8. Brienne is sent to meet Mother Merciless, who gives her two options. Sword or noose. Dick or mommy. Wait, What? <laughs> Isn't that always the question? Dick is it, or is mommy? It? 
Cersei 10. Cersei is arrested by the Faith, and we're caught up on the happenings in King's Landing by Kyburn. Jamie 7. Cersei is sent for her brother lover, but he decides to put it in the fire. Hmm. Sam 5. Sam's first day of school at Breakbills or Hogwarts or the Citadel, whatever magic school you want to refer to it as, is very intriguing indeed. And of course, we get off of the ship right before we get to Old Town and get into the magic. The end of the journey had been perilous. The Iron Men had taken bases in Old Town to prey on the inbound ships. Koja Moe's archers shot great bows of Golden Heart, and Sam was loosing arrows as well to keep them safe. So you're asking, like, you know, which which school this is. I like to think of it as the one in Shokugeki, which is actually a food, a food anime. But a lot Ooh. of it is about working hard, right? So Sam's arrows actually seem to reach the ship, showing his improvement. So Sam throughout his story shows an aptitude for reading and studying and thinking. We know this. We know this. And I do like that his storyline explores also the idea that just because you aren't good at something to start, you can become good at it if you keep working hard at it. You know, a lot of like our characters are like, they're special and destined for this special thing, right? That they are very good at, mm-hmm. like with swords or even Arya also with swords. And Sam is another way of looking at it of like, it's not just about having courage, but also practice over talent. Yeah, and the application, yeah. the practical application and when you should be applying said practical application that makes sense yeah i I think like not to be cheesy but it is kind of like sam goes to wizard school and he's going to learn who he truly is inside or culinary Uh, battle school yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) and obviously he shows up and he's stumbling into all sorts of magic and horrible bullshittery right away and he some of it he actually is kind of already sensing Right, like we'll get to later with Pay, he does sense something odd about the boy. Uh, I think that's gonna bubble up real quick. That's gonna be some fun confrontation around all these little obstacles he has to play with. I think that'll be in- we can talk about Pate more, but I think that'll be interesting. Being like, I made really good friends with this person, and they're not who I thought. Literally, <laughs> he is wearing someone else's face. Who is this? I uh, <laughs> I love the the way that some of these themes, like the faceless men and the faces are kind of bopping through POVs, right? I, I really like yeah. the way George does that with through lines of, like, throwing an idea, like a stone on the water, and it's skipping across yeah. plots. Like, it's going to land on Arya, going to land... You know, can yeah, you see yeah. that? See what I'm saying? Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah, I like that. I, I think it's, like, a really nice flow to the story. It, it's really just pleasing. Very pleasing to be like, ah, this thing exists in this POV now. It's a smart way to keep the whole story cohesive. Very much so. It keeps it flowing. Speaking of things flowing, the ship, as they approach the coast, Sam points out House Costain's seat, three towers to Gilly. It's gorgeous but sad. Their voyage is almost at its end. And Gilly thinks that it's tall, and Sam's like, wait till you see the high tower. Dalla's babe had begun to cry, but Gilly was able to comfort him easily. A vast contrast to the start of their journey, and Sam thinks that Gilly's come to love this child almost as much as her own, and he really hopes that the gods are kind to both of these children, and it really, like, has a big, like, the vision of Ned praying at the godswood vibes. Which might be happening at a similar Uh, point in this story. Yeah. I actually want to come back to that in a little bit, because I thought about that chapter 
and those visions so much mm. during this chapter, just with the, the scenery that we're about to get to. I really love that. And I mean, you know, my heart breaks every time I watch that yeah. in my brain play out. I read it, close my eyes. I'm like, oh, God, it's so sad, right? Let them grow up as brothers. Let my lady wife find it in her heart to forgive. I mean, oh, that is that's how Sam's feeling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sam, you know, hopefully she'll forgive me and John for what we did to her, right? Maybe they'll be able to grow up as brothers still. Amen. And you think Gilly's uh, hasn't forgiven child. him? Is she having like hate sex? Is that what it's hap- is happening right now? They're having hate sex. I mean, I think it's still honeymoon, but hate sex might start next week. Great, right? could, could be fun. Really, like Sam can get a lot of experience. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that we've talked about House Costain much before and they have a a decent role they have like some side characters Uh, there was like a singer at joffrey's wedding yada yada handful of side characters but house costain is a reference to thomas b costain who was a canadian journalist turned history novelist the arms actually are like black and yellow and they reference two of his novels the black rose and the silver chalice interesting very cool i love all of those little i try to catch as many of them as i can Hmm. I love finding those little author references. It's very cute. Yeah, they are fun. They are fun. You know, why not? Yeah. It's your book. I'm excited to read uh, how, he, how he, you know, references and incorporates the winners of those, like, wolf sweepstakes one day. Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You know, we've had a couple books that get to do that now, right? You had George do that, and then you had Philip Pullman oh, that's do that right. with the Secret Commonwealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, the cinnamon wind continues to Old Town, bumping into corpses, drifting through the sea, big fun, and some of the bodies are accompanied by crows. They are swollen like grotesque rafts, and they pass burnt fields and villages, as well as shattered ships, and I know Chloe has more thoughts on this, but it, it, it is a little, sounds a lot, like the imagery of what's going on in the north by Home. Yeah, I was really taken by that as well, and it also reminds me of Tyrion, right, on his voyage in the east a little bit, of some of the stuff that he kind of came across, or like just even soaring across the, the waters mm-hmm. being like blood, Ooh, right? yeah. Um, Spooky. Yeah, uh, and those are, I mean, as we get into this next bit here, Euron's presence is so yeah. fucking all over this, as we're going to talk about. It reminds me of the vision of him sailing on a sea of blood, mm. right? This is a sea of blood. It's bodies right now. But what the Iron Men are doing uh, that we're going to talk about is wild. It's very intense. Zondo points out the wreckage from a battle not long ago. And he's like, who would be mad Ooh. enough to raid this close to Old Town? Who? He points out the remnants of a banner that Sam has never seen. It's a red eye with a black pupil and a black iron crown above it. Butterfly meme. Is this not the Sheringan? Eliana, I'm not reading Lord of the Rings. Eliana, this has to be from Naruto. <laughs> this is truly the knowledgeable <laughs> podcast, everyone. This is we are knowledgeable. The only Naruto. We is kind. Yeah. This is the only Naruto no, X Aswaf podcast. I don't know, but I'm not saying it's not. I don't know. Anyway. I'm not going to rule it out yet, yeah. but until anyone tells us otherwise, I mean, feels like it. Well, Zondo doesn't know the banner either, Eliana, so don't worry. Okay. He doesn't know the banner either. Uh, the next day, it's cold and misty, and we pass through plundered villages. A war galley comes out of the fog slowly toward them. 
They come alongside. Its name is the Huntress and it has two other galleys with it. The captain is a tall man in a smoke gray cloak with red satin flames on it. He appears and announces uh, from alongside that he's coming aboard. He's going to inspect it. So they describe the sigil of the Tower of Old Town as having like a crown of flame, which I thought was really interesting. And it reminds me of that vision that Stannis has that he relays to Davos that's presumably of himself, it's probably him, of a king being consumed by a crown of flames. And I don't think that Stannis necessarily makes it to Old Town, but the sort of repetition of that imagery, I think that's just kind of interesting, you know, like big, important things being consumed by fire themselves. I don't know. What if, you know, the doom that they were really supposed to avoid was this doom that's impending on Old Town and all of them took it differently and no one thought about Old Town. But, you know, what if the doom was really what's to come here? Because maybe. Did you see this tweet from a few days ago? My partner really liked this and for some reason sent it to me. Um, Someone quote tweeted about after 50 years, Guitar Center finally makes the correct decision to stop using a guitar as a G in their logo. Why it took that long is still anyone's guess. But the person, this person, Yuri Rondo, quote tweeted that and said, When they burned the library of Alexandria, the crowd cheered in horrible joy. They understood that there was something older than wisdom, and it was fire, and something truer than words, and it was ashes. And they just made that up about this fucking guitar center logo change. <laughs> but Wow, and people just believed it. I, you know, I don't know if people believed I didn't it, really... but they were like, is that from something? <laughs> no, it's from this. <laughs> guitar center. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I didn't really think about this. Uh, I really liked this guy that boarded, right? Wearing mm. the gray cloak with the the red satin flames on it it's very neat it actually reminded me of titos blackwood's Hmm. fashion sense a little bit i was like this is something titos would rock but i was curious we don't see this guy this is it and i'm like who is he and then i realized he's wearing his sigil he's probably just some rando a high tower right probably because you have the gray with the flames i mean they're all like he's a tower they're all rich enough to just be out here just wearing red satin flames, you know, just every day. It's it's interesting fashion. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting fashion. It makes me think that he's literally dressed up in his sigil, like he's that proud of his high tower heritage, almost like, you know, we got lazy Leo at the Citadel. Yeah. So maybe he's just some high tower cousin, but George doesn't name him. I mean, maybe. what if he shows up again and Sam's like, it's you, you know, when we get another Sam chapter <laughs> one day. Could be. Could be. It is It is a cool outfit, though. Yeah. So this guy, though, this very fashionable guy, is looking for Iron Man. He's apologetically <laughs> asking to check the stores, lamenting that they had killed a Tairoshi merchant ship where, like, the people on it had disguised themselves with the Tairoshi dyes, and they meant to open a gate and set the port afire, but then they ran afoul of the Lady of the Tower, whose Ormaster's wife is Tairoshi, and they were unable to fool the ships because with their fake Tairoshi look because they did not speak Tairoshi. In horror, Sam realizes, oh my god, these people meant to read... Old, old town but the captain of the hunter says these are no mere reavers uh they had also taken stone crab k the isle of pigs 
Mermaid's Palace and even Horseshoe Rock and Bastard's Cradle. I wonder if the Isle of Pigs is a reference to the Bay of Pigs thing in Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking so. Yeah. I was like, why does this name sound so familiar to me? <laughs> Real life. And interestingly, what their plan was reminds me a little of like a failed version, A, of the Trojan Horse, but B, a failed version also of Mar- Danny's plan in taking marine a little but also the idea of people kind of donning disguises is something that is ramping up with these two books right we've discussed that a long time ago in a patreon episode about the slipperiness of identity but we're also seeing it here with these nationalities uh, especially because i think that the others should probably lead people to unite but they probably won't rip and especially considering that sam has just met someone who's also pretending to be someone else and we have this disc, mm. and by that I meant Arya, but we have another one in this chapter too. But the disconnect of the Iron Man pretending to be Tyroshi and not speaking the language between that outward appearance and their inner life, I think that's a lot of what we're seeing in Sam's story too. So he's going to wind up trying to learn more about his own identity, who he is, who he's going to grow up to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, I. It's really sad when you think about it, too, because for the Tyroshi, that's such a hit, right? Like, had they actually gone in and had they been allowed, like, had those Tyroshi not realized, oh, these guys are frauds, um, think of how they would have suffered for that in the trade, right? Like, Old Town would have probably closed its ports up for a bit and been really policing what they do at the ports. Uh, Old Town doesn't need that right now. They have enough issues underneath their nose. We had to delay it for the plot. For the plot, some of these locations, I obviously, they, some of them were crafted just for this chapter. Some of them are, you know, places that he hadn't dreamed up quite yet, or some of them he has dreamed up. Mermaid's Palace, though, I realize, mm-hmm. is likely from the Manderleys. That's part of their old land. I think from so. From when they lived in the South. I yeah. do think so. Old Fishfoot's old haunts. <laughs> It's a. It's got to be at least you know reminiscent of them, and they are kind of reminiscent in this chapter, as we'll get to. Because Sam blurts out after this, he's like, "Well, wait. So what the fuck is Hightower doing about all this? Because Lord Hightower is loaded, fucking rich, rich. He has tons of swords, and the captain says that swords are no good on the water, not against the Iron Men. But to be sure, Leighton Hightower and the Mad Maid Melora are locked atop the tower, consulting spell books." I just want to tip my little fedora, Melora. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, every time I hear your name, Melora. Indeed. Uh, we have this line, might be he'll raise an army from the deeps or not. Fun, fun line. T-Wow would be such a great book to read. Real cool. We have the high towers on one side, Euron on the other, and Sam and everyone else of the reach trapped in between. Euron, as we said, is hanging around this chapter, around corners, around water. Uh, We'll see his sail, right? Uh, Crows littering the weirwood soon, and these dead bodies in the water. It is very, um, getting a little eldritch, as some people may say. Some men. Maybe. Some. Maybe. Probably is, and I definitely think it's going to go in that direction in the story, but something that I've never considered before until reading this, I'm like, whoa, we always talk about Krakens and Euron summoning one, but like this chapter and like that language made me think, wait, what if we've been all wrong and it's Leighton who summons one against Euron and not the other way around? 
You know, I guess. I mean, I suppose. I I will say, first of all, you know, I did marry someone who wrote extensively about Euron Greyjoy. He did offer that if I really needed his support to just snap my finger and he would come and recite everything he's ever thought about Euron Greyjoy. I'm not doing any of that. I'm good. But, Eliana, are you trying to get me in trouble? Are you trying to get me, like, in divorce court about this? Who's the real shit Blasphemy. here? Anyways, um, but also, I, I, I for, it's probably- For what it's worth. It's probably Euron. It could be like Euron, like, holding Lightning yeah. hostage and being like, they didn't do it for me. But I don't know. It's just like, um, I was like, oh, Damn. I never, like, really paid attention that. to that line before, that it, like, Leighton, you know, Melora investigating it. Yeah, I never paid attention to specifically, might be he'll raise an army from the deeps or not. Uh, and-, and- for what it's worth, I do think that the or not says a lot there. Mm-hmm. Or not. George likes to kind of play with that stuff, right? Like you have like yeah. Mira and Bran hiding the Liana story within the Night of the Laughing Tree and saying, but that was a sadder story and just like yeah. cutting it off and saying, or not. Uh, that's a very or not moment. I-, I feel like there's also, you know, Kettle Blacks are Wentz theory. Just to plug and bring that back, there's that moment where he says, look closer when Littlefinger and Sansa meet Oswell. Yeah. Black. Kettle black. I'm bringing kettle black. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So I don't know, that or no just feels so pointed. Like when he likes to yeah. do little things like that and point just a short sentence out. It makes you think, makes you kind of draw your eye to it. Uh, I-, I do really like the idea of the idea of him like holding Leighton hostage and Melora hostage and like being like, do it. That's kind of crazy. I never considered that. I'm out of my element when it comes to some of that theorizing and just like speculation. I'm really excited to actually get more of it eventually and t with you guys because I want to explore it on kind of a more visceral level. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't read it, of course, please read the whole entire history, universe, etc. of the Eldritch Apocalypse by V. Poor Quentin, uh, the guy from Not a Cast that I've told you about that I know. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing. Uh, we'll link it. I mean, we'd be remiss not to reference it because it's covered a lot of these themes, yeah. a lot of kind of this Eldritch theme going on with some of this in Old Town that I'm fascinated by, this whole water's filled with blood concept and mm-hmm. the witchcraft and sorcery to come and this is you know we're just stumbling into magic and we're not even really um we're almost halfway through right we're just stumbling into magic yeah and part of why we are not covering that in this chapter is because poor quentin's already covered it and i don't feel like <laughs> yeah just swimming through the same waters he already did plopping through the same squid marks you know yeah, if you want to read what that squidly boy had to say, head over to his blog. We'll link it below. It, it's, it is like the definitive analysis on it all, at least an exploration of it. I think it's a very, very great exploration, very thorough, and it covers stuff that I would never think of. Yeah. But holding people hostage sounds like something Euron might do. I've never heard of Euron doing that ever. anyway so the captain says that the best they can do is guard and wait for king's landings bitch queen to let paxer off his leash sam is pretty shocked if king's landing lost old town and the arbor that means that the realm would fall to pieces and also the charlie lands might not even be safe 
which the Charlie Lands are like a hundred leagues northeast of Old Town, away from the coast, so they really should be beyond the Iron Man's reach. And then he's like, but, you know, I bet that John's other brother, who is not me, probably had the same thought of Winterfell being safe before Theon Greyjoy had scaled its walls. And Sam, though, cannot bear the thought of endangering Gilly and the babe, and thinks maybe... They could just stay in Old Town with him, and the city has formidable walls and thousands of men to defend them, where his Lord Father would just, like, have much fewer, especially if he took his armies north. Glossing over what we just discussed about, you know, the Eldritch Apocalypse happening in this city, and, like, possibly, like, hot molten pools of blood erupting and a kraken coming out to, like, you know, eat the universe and swallow old town or whatever's gonna happen and all the bloodlust and all the battle happening here in Euron and how the the raiders are coming closer and closer glossing over all of that right just just you know gloss over that with me this still feels like a trap to like talk about how formidable and how tall these walls are and how great they are at keeping things out kind of makes me think that they're probably great at keeping things in too and as horror is about to rain down upon this city, a city of distress, right, being attacked, stuck within walls. I'm sure this is a theme we might see in other cities, major cities, in A Song of Ice and Fire in the future. Rings Landing. Uh, <laughs> these walls can keep things in, like the Grey Plague, right, that they've experienced in the past that Pycelle says, you know, swept through a, a fuck ton of maesters. Uh, or maybe a new Grey Plague come via John Khan fighting in the Reach. Uh, also, there's this huge reveal of Pate later. So there's this huge emotion in this chapter of that reveal being that we're now stuck inside this tower with Pate, a killer. And Sam is once more stuck inside walls with a murderer, right? Or a, a, a faceless man. He doesn't know that he has somebody disguised in his motives, but he is now in a building with that. Um... I feel like, Sam, Old Town, you guys are stuck and not safe. I do not feel safe for you in Old Town at all. <sighs> yeah, I don't feel safe for Sam in Old Town. I think it's going to be like, you know, one of those day after tomorrow kind of situations. <laughs> it's going to be like a post-apocalyptic feeling. And yeah, when you were saying about the walls, definitely feeling like a trap. I mean, the, the, yeah. as you said, right, the Great Plague, that's the same thing that comes to mind. Like... Yeah, they were all like, what if we just kept everyone in and just let everyone in the city? Like, that man was ready to sacrifice that city. So, anyway. I'm watching them do this. I haven't watched The Walking Dead, as I've told you, in forever. I watched it when it was airing, and I'm doing a very slow rewatch to see how far I can get, right? Like, when I rage quit. Yeah. And once we get there, I'll let you all know where I land. Right now, we got to season four. My husband never watched it. Like, not all of it. He's watched, like, some cinematic moments from it that everybody has talked about because it did a lot for TV. I'll give it that. Uh, But we're on season four, and there is a little bit of a plague going through, and they're in close quarters, and today they put them all in a fucking room, like, all the sick people in one room, and I'm like, bro, wouldn't you want them in separate rooms in case there's a chance for them to, like, actually, you know, like, you're just really... You gotta, I... you gotta figure this out, this housing out. It was just rough to watch, also. Uh, but it makes me really nervous about these walls that they're just putting everyone within. Oh my god, yeah. 
these formidable walls. Definitely. And yeah. Yeah. I want, I stopped watching it in season two when I got bored and I was like, this isn't what happened in the books. So I've it, always I like stuck this. it out. <laughs> you know what's funny is I stuck it out to season five, season six, just like Thrones, and I was like, this is too much even for me, just like Thrones. And I quit uh I quit on an episode that I knew was the highlight, the peak that I wasn't gonna I feel that I didn't want to ruin that. it after that. Yeah. I read recaps. I read episode recaps for like a whole season or two after that. I don't remember them, but I did read the recaps to understand who's where and who's still alive and like did my faves die? Just curious. Uh, and now apparently they're really bringing it back for the end. So Wait, I'm kind of like it's still going. It is finishing up the last season. Yeah, I think they had a mid-season finale for season eleven or something. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I was but in it's over. college my when I was watching. Boss, that. Holy shit. It. Yeah, I know. I was in fucking high school when I was watching God. it because you were in college. Because I'm old. Yeah. Old ass. I watched it with my mother. I lived with my mother still when I watched it. I, wa- yeah. I watched it with my roommate who introduced me to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Man, what a what a flashback. You'd like Flash- her. Well, I'm, I can't watch this old town shit going no. down here no. without thinking. Some- I know. I know something's going to happen. This is... I mean, this is all the makings of a good horror plot soon. That's true. Absolutely, It's so set up for a horror plot. Yeah. All of this is like, horror is going to happen here. Horror slash post There was already a murder. Right. There was already a murder and a body snatching. True. There is body snatching. So true. And he's like, where am I going to hide Gilly? He can't take her to college. Um, and honestly, <laughs> if he doesn't figure out what to do with her, he's like, he might not ever find the strength to leave her. And aw. And he thinks, like, he had to leave her or desert. I said the words. Sam reminded himself, if I desert, it will mean my head. And how will that help Gilly? Interesting. It's it's a really interesting dilemma coming up in Sam's story that is reminiscent of some of the stuff we saw in John's story, but also I, Sam's, you know, another another echo of the things that we were, right, examining in John's story and Jamie's story and Aries's story, so. Yes. Yes. And, you know, if you loved her, why'd you leave her, right? And Rhaegar and Lyanna. Yeah, and exactly. Yes, very Rhaegar All of them. Lyanna. All of the echoes. All of the echoes. Uh, everything that John thought out of guilt, you know, every yeah. time he'd fuck Egret, uh, I really feel it echoed in some of Sam's thoughts. And Sam had thought about asking Kojimo and her father to keep Gilly at the Summer Isles, maybe, or on the boat, but he knew that would be just as perilous and she could be carried off for a thrall or salt life when they leave through the red wine straits and the babe would probably be chucked into the sea so it has to be Hornhill. sam knows yeah he he knows and he's gonna take her there himself he is resigned to it which i am so proud of him um brave black sam he's finding that bravery because he's finding it not just in others but here he is forming a positive relationship he's like i have to conquer my worst fear for them yeah, and we're really seeing that a lot, I think, in this chapter, right? There is a big shift in Sam's mindset and the thought patterns that he had kind of dug himself into previously, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. They reach Old Town on a cold, yeah. foggy morning, and they get a glimpse of Hightower's fleet, including his towering four-decked banner ship, the Honor of Old Town. <laughs> Get rid of your yachts, you rich motherfuckers. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, 
once Eat the root. they reach port, <laughs> they submit to another inspection. This time it's Gunther Hightower. Leighton's son comes aboard. He wears a cloth of silver cloak and a suit of gray enameled scales. They've all got like amazing fashion here. And he had studied at the Citadel for several years and he speaks the summer tongue. So Korumo and Gunther speak to one another while Sam tells Gilly his plan. First, they're going to the Citadel to present John's letters and the thing about Eamon's death, and then we're going to get horses in the wagon to get Gilly to Sam's mother at Horn Hill. Sounds good. I have to say, I'm reminded of Pokemon. These uh, Hightower guys on the ships are like, you know, the the guys you get to before the gym leader, before you get to the main one. They're like, walks up. Do you want to battle Sam Parley? He's like, no. Uh, They... Even the outfits, right? Yeah, true, true, true. There's a l- and I will say, he's almost dressed in like dragony kind of outfit, yeah. right? With the scales, the enameled scales, With the dragon gym. Uh, and we're already, and we are at the dragon gym. Lance, let's go, let's ride, Daddyo. And there's something interesting of like just the dichotomy, like dragons being so prominent in this chapter, and everyone taking a side which way on a dragon. So for him to be out here dressed like a dragon, it makes you think. Are the high towers actually receptive to dragons? Would they like dragons? Are they happy for dragons to come back? And then you have the maesters who are like, ooh, no dragons. So for him to embody both the maester, like he went to school at the Citadel for a while, got some chains, and now here he is wearing a dragony outfit. You can kind of see, does that mean that's his side? That's what he chooses, knowledge and dragons? Interesting. Interesting. Especially because we've Just curious. seen High Towers covet dragons before. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that as well. Hmm. 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 Well, it, as a green, I thought you might have an opinion. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I agree, right? Like, we've seen that I mean, there might be a power struggle that we haven't gotten to dig into yet between the High Towers and the mm-hmm. Maesters, right? And, yeah. I also agree about it feeling there's some stuff here that just really feels a little like a video game. Yeah. Yeah. Sir Gunther emerges and gives them the thumbs up to come into the city, and in they go to tie off at the plank. The Summer Islanders don their land feathers. Literally. And Sam wears his faded baggy blacks. He's feeling very unfashionable right now. And he asks how long the Summer Islanders will be at port, and if Gilly can stay until he returns. Yes, they actually respond to him and they're like, Gilly can do whatever she wants because she's a fucking angel and doesn't eat all the food. Oh, that's kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like, yeah, they, they apparently eat like as much, like a lot of fruits and fish, which is fun. And it isn't lost on me that the yeah. Summer Islanders, what they're wearing, right, they have these cloaks with all these bright and varied colors of feathers, right? Especially kind of reminding us of these beautiful and free birds. Whereas Sam, of course, is a crow. That's all. Yeah, and I also am glad that we get to see them now in their feathers, right? After immediately Sam drowned the feathers on the first take. Turns out, um, Sam, they probably still had feathers. You just got swindled. (laughs) He's really good at that. I get that. Yeah. And so... Sam's lost a little weight, as we said, and they they jest about that. And then Sam and the archers head in, parting ways at the shore. He hopes he can find his way through Old Town. It's a maze. He is excited to have real stone beneath his feet instead of a ship floor, though, right? That is exciting. He feels eyes on him and realizes everyone's a stranger out here. 
And then he's like, wait, worse. What if someone knows me? <gasps> mood. It's a big mood. mood. It, that's like how I feel when I'm in my hometown and I haven't put my eyebrows on. Yeah, that takes you up like two whole notches. You need that. Yeah, I get I'm it. like, I... Yeah. I'm no one without them. I don't... Yeah. No, I agreed. I didn't give my work anything but lip for my first day oh, back really? on site. I didn't even give them a foundation, but if I went back to my hometown, I get you. I would need a brow. I'd need a lip. I'd need at least a little bit of something. I might give up on everything else, but I'd at least do the eyebrows. Like, that's the one thing that I'd be like, I guess we can do this. We have a really beautiful description of Old Town. The gates of the citadel were flanked by a pair of towering green sphinxes with the bodies of lions, wings of eagles, and tails of serpents. One had a man's face, one a woman's. Just beyond stood Scribe's Hearth, where old-towners came in search of acolytes to write their wills and read their letters. Half a dozen bored scribes sat in open stalls, waiting for some custom. At other stalls, books were being bought and sold. Sam stopped at that one that offered maps and looked over a hand-drawn map of the citadel to ascertain the shortest way to the Seneschal's court. The path divided where the statue of King Darren I sat astride his tall stone horse, his sword lifted toward Dorne. A seagull was perched on the young dragon's head and two more on the blade. So we've been talking a lot about Sam's many names throughout the story, right? His Sam the Slayer, Sir Piggy, Black Sam, blah, blah, blah. But I see that a little bit now in him maybe being a Sphinx too, as we get introduced to that Sphinx. Because, I mean, yeah, Eamon says all that stuff about the Sphinxes and we're going to see like... It's probably about Alaris, whatever, and riddles. But I, I just think, you know, Sam's becoming a little bit of a sphinx himself, right? With all those different parts coming together to make him one person, one powerful, wise being. Mm-hmm. All of the elements. Yeah. Being able to bend all of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And there's also something really mystical just about... And it kind of, again, coming back to the faceless men being so prominent, but not in this chapter. Mm. One had a man's face, one a woman's. Just beyond stood Scribe's Hearth, where old towners came in search of acolytes to write their wills and read their letters. Very administrative and not unlike the House of Black and White. Yes. I mean, uh, the comings and goings, writing the wills, reading the letters, uh, and and just that having the sphinxes, one with the man's face, one a woman's, and thinking of our first entrance at the House of Black and White and how that looked from the inside and uh, the faceless men's ways. I found that really interesting. That's a great point, um, especially as we flesh out more of those cities and the world building. And yeah. Yeah. No one, for example. Hmm. The Seneschal's Court, uh, coming back to kind of the Manderleys, believe it or not, it reminds me of the Mermaid's Court. Uh, there's similar plot beats here for Sam and Davos, right? Being made to wait, being imprisoned, all of the animal statues outside. And of course, that Sam's here trying to decode a secret truth, right? Hit the right button and get magical support. And Davos kind of was as well. And this is just a bit downriver from where the Manderleys were from, as we've talked about uh, earlier on. Found that interesting. Similar vibes. Similar yeah. vibes to the Mermaid's Court at the Seneschal's Court. Very much. Very interesting. Especially, yeah, we've got two people running into... Maybe running into... Probably running into Starks. Yes. Yes. Faceless Starks here. You know, 
King Darren statue was great because John's here, even, you know, even mm. when he's not, John's here. The boy king who tries to unite Westeros by taking Dorne, unsuccessful, loses his life by treachery at 18. And of course, surrounded by the weeping dock and the bloody isle. Uh, yeah, I think John's here in spirit. I mean, his first Clash of Kings uh, chapter, actually, I think also he talks about him in Game of Thrones, maybe with Benjen, maybe I'm making that up, but he does talk about Darren and John 1 in Clash of Kings, learning all about him and learning about Aemon's background, right? And Darren has the connection, of course, with Aemon there. Aemon's great-grandfather was Darren, I think. And I might be missing a generation somewhere in there. But it's Eamon's great-grandfather, and I think that says something, too. I was I was thinking of how it like reminds me a little of not just John, but also Rob, right? And these were the two figures yes. that the two boys used to play as, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, kind of yep. funny. Kind of funny. And, yep. and we also just saw a, while not Darren, a Darian. Yep. That reminded also us of died, the other Darren. Probably 18. Yeah, that reminded us of the other Darren. <laughs> he just died by treachery at 18. Shit. That's true. Now that you say it. Treachery. I mean, it was kind of his own doing, but kind of not, you know. Well, it's, who's treachery? That's the question. Yeah. So it's a, it was a little complicated. We'll get there one day. <laughs> uh, Sam watches some acolytes at work at the Weeping Dock, and he thinks, I should have come here when I was their age. I should have just done it. Run off, take a false name. I could have disappeared among them. I think this is really interesting and shows us a lot of growth in Sam's character. Because that he is entertaining thoughts of just like even defying his father. And then realizing, damn, I could have just done whatever I wanted, been my own person. Like, that's that's so big. That's so big, considering that Sam at the beginning of this book, right? Compare that. He was like, uh, no, John, you can't just send me to become a maester. My dad, like, <laughs> literally physically tortured me a lot and psychologically for even considering becoming a maester. And now he's like, what if I just, like, outright straight up disobeyed my dad and just, lit- like, intentionally embarrassed him in order to do whatever the fuck I wanted? Like, mm-hmm. that is such big growth it is though i do have to point out that like he couldn't have actually technically disappeared because as we learn at the end of this chapter he's been watched and as we kind of know he's probably being watched as well by other eyes in westeros but we learn like all of his comings and goings were already known by marwin yeah but like marwin would have been like (laughs) interesting this seems entertaining Mm -hmm. marwin does like to keep some interesting company as we'll get to I did think that there was something very interesting here in the phrasing because he has, I could take a different name, you know, lose my identity and go blend in amongst the novices. Not unlike what Arya Stark is doing right now, right? Taking a different name, blending in, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. she's not doing a good job uh, at the novices. That's true. The acolytes. And Mm -hmm. they both kind of reflect each other. That's a great point. Like Arya all these different people because again sam is doing that but like in a less dramatic scale yeah and obviously he he's kind of just battling himself as usual in these Mm -hmm. thoughts and he thinks you know at least then randall could have pretended dickon was his only son and he thinks randall wouldn't have even searched for me unless he took a mule to ride then he would have hunted him down (laughs) and he's like he would have only hunted him down to like get the mule back right (laughs) 
He's like, right. I could have probably it's just horrible. gotten away with it and just gotten away scot free. Give him back a mule. <sighs> Who knows? Interesting. You know, while we move to the seneschal's court, and outside we see an older novice being locked into the stocks for stealing food from the kitchens, glossing over that institutional commentary on how we're trading one failing institution for another. Sam strides in, and beyond the door is a hall with stone flooring, high arched windows, a Sims 4 builder's dream. He reaches a man at a raised dais who scratches on a ledger with a quill. He has a maester's robe, but no chain. Sam clears his throat, and the guy's like, you smell of novice. And Sam hands over his letters, explains his purpose, and Eamon's death. And then he waits. He waits. He gets lapped by five or six people that definitely came in after him. Uh, and finally, he like gets a little courageous. Like, what is the fucking holdup going on here? Yeah, this is just the DMV. I think like George wrote oh, yeah. his experiences at the DMV. <laughs> and the, they say write what you know, you know, absolutely. And it's like horrible. Hours, he hours pass, hours pass. Sam picks a blister on his hand. He watches the dust. It's sunset. He closes his eyes. He falls asleep, and he awakens to hear yet another person called before him. And he freaks out. He's like, "Whoa! Oh, it's not me!" And <laughs> another voice beside him is like, Psst, "Hey, you need to give." the gatekeeper a penny and he's like oh what what the fuck uh the voice beside him says what brings the night's watch to the citadel and we get a look at the speaker they are slim good looking with light brown skin and tight black curls and a widow's peak hmm, what could it mean interesting and big black eyes we meet alaris <clears throat> alaris sam tells alaris <laughs> that the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch is restoring abandoned castles and they need maesters for ravens. Alaris says, while well, Lorcus, the gatekeeper, was an acolyte for 50 years and obviously can tell that you are noble-born and particularly hates novices, especially noble ones. Sam is, like, really surprised. He's like, how can he tell that I'm of noble birth? And Alaris says, the same way you can tell I'm half Dornish. So I think that is kind of interesting, right? There's a lot of things that have told us throughout the story that people can tell what station of birth you are born in. And that's something that, again, is also comes up in Arya's story, learning how to change the way that she speaks so that she can blend in with some of the different classes. And that Sam carries it so obviously, it's kind of reminiscent and that, that Lorcus doesn't like novices who are from nobility reminds us again of the Night's Watch and how the Night's Watch is also allegedly a meritocracy, but we see that those class systems from Westeros still hold true. Yeah, and there's a lot of that commentary, like we said, in the stocks with the the novice that mm -hmm. stole food. That that commentary just tells you everything about this place already, uh, and you can tell that Lorcus here has obviously been shunted for his 50 years he's not yeah. happy he's a little like will maybe or garrett garrett from the prologue Garid. yeah i was also thinking of mord but mm. that's more of a personal thing i'm just like ah he's the gatekeeper he's having he's having a time mord with his teeth yeah alaris says they are an acolyte and some call them sphinx even the name gives Sam a jolt. The Sphinx is the riddle, not the Riddler, he blurted. Do you know what that means? No. Is it a riddle? I wish I knew. I'm Sam Tarly, 
Sam, I'm Sam Waltorley. Sam. Aw. New friends. Cute. New friends. I love it. Alaris asks what business he plans to bring before Theobald, Archmaester Theobald. Sam's surprised. He's like, I thought the Seneschal was Maester Norin. That's what Maester Eamon said. Alaris is like, well, every year they change. They fill the office by choosing an Archmaester and most see it as a thankless task because it takes them away from their thesis and their master's final project at the Citadel. The Black Stone was drawn this year by Archmaester Walgrave, but his wits had begun to wander, read the prologue, uh, so Theobald volunteered to serve his turn. He's gruff, but he's good. Yeah, so it does remind you of a, I guess, university department or something. And I believe we've spoken a bit about Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery, in some of our Free Cities episodes, particularly the ones about Pentos. But I am reminded of it again here. And also, you know, this this nature of leadership being thankless and the responsibility, which is why no one wants it. And I'm like, lol, Sam, this is what you did to John. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at least he only had, he didn't even have to do it for a year. I don't know what you're complaining about. That's true. John got out of it early. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta die to get out. That's what I say. So. Alaris recognizes Eamon and Sam's like, how did you know him? Alaris says Eamon was the oldest man in Westeros, dude. (laughs) I'm not. Uh, He lived through more history than even Archmaester Periston lived through. They lament Eamon could have told them so much about his father's reign and his uncle's and ask how old he was at his death. Sam says 102. Alaris asks what we've been asking for, you know, the last book. Why the fuck did you put a 102-year-old on the sea? And Sam hesitates. Sam is like, I don't know if I should say anything. And then he's like, the Sphinx is the riddle, not the riddler. And he thinks, could Maester Eamon have meant this Sphinx? It seemed unlikely. Uh, or not, to quote earlier. Yeah, or not. Well, and then, of course, Sam lets the floodgates open, right? Sam's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just tell you. And he tells him everything. He's like, John sent us away to save his life. Then he's like, Stannis and Melisandre. And he's like, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop. And then he just keeps going. And he's like, Mance Raider, the Free Folk, King's Blood, Dragons, the Whites of the Fist, the Other on the Horse, the Murder of Lord Mormont. This is a clip show episode. <laughs> Gilly, White Tree, Paul, Cold Hands, the Ravens, John's Election Win, Darian, Bravos, Zondos and the Dragons and Karth, the Cinnamon Wind, and Maester Eamon's Whispers. The only secrets he held back were the ones he was sworn to keep. Bran Stark and the Baby Swap. He concludes with what Eamon had said. Daenerys is our only hope. The Citadel must send her a maester to bring her home before it's too late. When he finishes, Alaris touches Sam's arm and says, Save your penny. The Seneschal won't believe you, but I know who will. So, how much did Alaris get paid for this therapy session, first of all? And think next, Sam's meeting with Alaris actually reminds me a lot of Sam's meeting with John, right? As Sam enters a new place, a new order and busted yeah right exactly exactly sam's meeting another noble bastard because i mean let's be real we know alaris is sorella okay like we we all know it what (laughs) oh my god what What? oh my god this is this is scandalous what but they are they, they are 
It is it is the same. If you if you take a Lyris and you turn the letters backwards, <laughs> would you would you know? It is Sorella. Oh my god. And they've oh got the seven. same widow's oh peak. Oh my seven. Oh my gosh. Right, because it's the only family in all of Westeros that has a motherfucking widow's peak is Oberyn's blood. Here, yes. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And I mean- Widow's peak, it's Oberyn's. Oh yeah, definitely. Here, definitely. And I mean, let's be real. So I, it's just kind of fun, right? Because Sam's like suddenly fighting himself. He he is spilling his entire life story, right, <laughs> to John in that first chapter, and John just like very yeah. understandingly and quietly listens, and it's really beautiful, as we've discussed. And Alaris's reaction is a little different, but I think there's some similarities, right, in the way that Sam spills his guts out to this person, and and again reminds me of that fateful first meeting, and. I, I think that once more we are seeing Sam growing here, right? He's mm-hmm. He finds it easier to open up to new people and therefore is kind of learning to make friends on his own here and again. The boarding school arc. Yeah, fancy lad school. It is uh, fancy lad school. It is. Yeah, I'm excited to see what growth he can have in his first two chapters mm-hmm. before Euron blows the shit up. Hopefully he gets two chapters of School Man, or at least like a, here's what was happening while you were on summer vacation, guys. Like a Shitadel montage. <sighs> Shitadel. Give us the Shitadel, George. Anything. I'd take oh it gosh. at this point. Yeah. Season Sh- seven? Uh... Um, I'm just kidding. No. Worse than season eight. <laughs> well. And I said what I said. Oh. I I don't know. I don't plan on rewatching them to find out. <laughs> they were both bad, and they are related. Um, season six, and they should feel bad. Yeah, I agreed. And season six was pomp, and it fooled everyone into thinking it was good, and it was not. Anyways, Sam hears Aemon's words in his head. You must tell the Archmasters. But he could always return to the Seneschal tomorrow with a penny in his hand. Interesting, pennies coming up at this time of the story. Anyways, they head to the Isle of Ravens, which connected to the bank with a wooden drawbridge to the oldest building in the Citadel, the Ravenry. Alaris tells Sam, in the Age of Heroes, it was a stronghold of a pirate lord who robbed ships that came along. The building is covered in moss and creeping vines and ravens walking its battlements instead of archers, and the drawbridge had not been raised, at least not in living memory, and an ancient weirwood filled the yard instead. Its carved face is grown over by purple moss. The branches seem dead, but a few of the leaves still rustled, and birds love to perch on that. It's full of birds, actually, quirking to one another. So, what a vivid scene. I have to break down that, like, Interesting that the weirwood is covered with purple moss. Mm-hmm. Usually moss is green and purple is the completely complementary color, right? The opposite color on the color wheel to purple. So mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me a little bit almost of those ones outside Karth, the black and blue weirwood outside of Karth and how it's like the opposite inverted colors of the white and red completely. And now you have purple Mm. moss growing like decay on it, right? Like taking over, creeping. So you get this great passage about in the Age of Heroes, this was a stronghold of a pirate lord who robbed ships that came along, suggesting this pirate lord would probably know the secrets of the magic of the Citadel. Uh, And the weirwood alone, right? Suddenly you have all these crows perched on it, quirking, almost as if Sam never left the wall. 
How nice of this arrival. Is it Bloodraven or is it Euron? That's the question of the day, right? Because Euron is all over this scene. A busted down Weirwood? Yeah. Euron is all over Crow's this Crow's watching? Yeah. This is literally like he could make this right here, the Citadel. This might be his evil, you know, tower that he takes over right here. He might have the Weirwood right there as his central base. Damn. Is he going to like Transformers plug into the Weirwood and fight? It's his night fort. Yeah, a little bit. This is kind of, I think it could be his night fort. Mm-hmm. Where else is he going to battle against the high tower? You know? Yeah, it is interesting. That would be great. Hmm. 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 I don't know. Interesting and just full of the imagery of everything yeah. surrounding Bloodraven, Bran, and Euron and what ties them together with these burbs Absolutely. and these trees. And the tree being busted down. I mean, that is just like real Euron hours. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. I was thinking of it as like Blood Raven, you know, kind of just clinging on to life. Mm-hmm. But you're there's definitely something there, right, of what you're saying of like you're on as the fallen student. Hmm. Yep, the pirate lord that would pirate steal and lord. reeve around here. I mean, that is him. That's literally That's what, what he's, he's doing. He's literally doing men yeah. reaving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get it, guys? We're talking about Euron. He's Only reaving in the past, and in here. The Age of Heroes. He's reaving and here. Oh, he's they, something. They are reading different oh my God. sounds similar though oh he got it wrong i get it it was just one letter difference you're on you fucked up it's, you meant to uh, read read more it's totally closely. an understandable mistake <laughs> yeah, it man. Is, it's absolutely, such a mistake absolutely that happens to the best of us just stop killing everyone <laughs> so lyris says archmaester walgrave's chambers are in the west tower below the white rookery and we have this line of the white ravens and the black ones quarrel like dornishmen and marchers so they keep them apart Wow, some commentary, right, in the Reach on, you know, race. Yep. Uh, totally some Reach shit, expertly delivered from Alaris, who knows this very well themselves, being partially Dornish. Uh, I thought that was really well snuck in there. Good one, George. <laughs> Sam wonders if Walgrave will understand what he's telling him, but Alaris says he won't see Walgrave. They begin to climb the North Tower, filled with flutterings and mutterings of ravens waking up. At the top of the stairs, a boy of Sam's age with blonde hair stands at a door of oak and iron, staring into a candle flame with his right eye. Alaris teases the boy, asking what he looks for in the candle. Destiny. Death. The boy blinks, telling Alaris, Naked woman. Who's this? <laughs> Who dis? And I like this scene because George, I think, kind of just wrote what the internet is. You could be looking for anything. But you're looking for naked people. <laughs> So, (laughs) Alaris answers, this is a new novice. Come to see the mage. Yes. We have a little passage between the blonde where he kind of says some mean things. And he says, the Citadel is not what it was. They will take anything these days. Dusky dogs, Dornish men, pig boys, cripples, cretins, and now a black clad whale. And here I thought Leviathans were gray. Oh, you're going to get a Leviathan, you little fucker. You bratty ass little fucker. Yep. I think I saw someone, ooh, I wish I had grabbed this now for this episode. It was good. Um, made a really interesting post about Leviathans recently on the subreddit mm. and that coming up in Sam's story. Ooh, sorry that I didn't grab your post and credit you, person. It was interesting. But I love, again, that this chapter is kind of just like, in a way, a redo of our introduction to Sam but it's kind of the way that we're ending his story here in A Feast for Crows. 
And it, because it is, again, just the wall. People saying, oh, this place isn't what it once was. We used to get heroes and people volunteering. And now we're getting, like, I don't know, all these random ass people. And, I mean, again, you can tell that it's the boarding school arc. Because not only do we have plucky, cool friend, Alaris, we also have our jock. Right? We don't just have nerdy people with books here at this school. Or else it would be a different kind of thing, right? It's a boarding school arc because we have a jock. The boys' hands. It's like, are they gonna get Saturday detention? I have to know. Yes, um, they are. The post that you're talking about is by Genghis Kazoo, I think, and it was I recent, believe they right? say that. Yeah, it was best. Uh, it was recent, and it was basically saying that being described as a leviathan is important because the leviathan is the natural rival of krakens. Ooh, very fun. So, mm-hmm. And. Another interesting point they make is, we know Sam was blessed by warlocks of Karth as a child. Oh, that's right. It was, that's so remember? Funny. Yeah. His father hired them to dip him. Yeah. Uh, and they had the white skin and the blue lips. So just like as we discussed that tree reminding me a little of Karth. And these are the same warlocks that have issued unspecified threats to Euron, right? Who, as Genghis Kazoo writes, was not impressed. One presumed to threaten me, so I killed him and fed him to the other three. Um, it could be a Sam Tarly kill. It could be that Sam Tarly is our magical transforming boy, like Sailor Moon style. You know, he could be Sam the Wizard. Do you think they might recognize him? Because we're just going to spoil things now from the Forsaken. Do you think that they're going to recognize him? Because there are warlocks on Euron's ship. Are they going to be like, you're that kid that I poured blood all over? Maybe they already know. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean, true. Marwin knew he was coming, and that's just Marwin. That is just Marwin. Well, <laughs> our blonde guy, our blonde asshole, he's handsome, sly, cruel, in a half cape, striped in green with gold draped across one shoulder. We know those colors. It's Leo Tyrell. Worse, Sam knows that. He knows those colors, and he knows Leo, and he feels like a boy of seven all over again, ready to soil and wet his small clothes and... He says, I'm Sam Tarly. Leo says, his father told them that he was dead. Or maybe it was only he wished you were dead. Ooh, sick burn, Leo. He asks if Sam was still craven. Sam lies. He's like, no, remembering John's command. And he says he fought in many battles across the wall and that they called him Sam the Slayer. He doesn't really know why he said it. It just came out. Did it anyway. Before Leo can respond, past laughing, a man appears at the doorway growling for them to get in. I again I love this this is growth Sam is just doing so well with these new people new old people whatever compared again to that boy we saw in the Game of Thrones who was just gonna let them take it when they called him Craven and he calling himself Craven and now he's standing up for himself he is owning his accomplishments rather than playing them down and he is speaking up for himself I'm just I am so proud of you Sam you tell him you're Sam the Slayer You've had sex. Yeah. Good for you. I do love that. And it really is reminiscent to me of Brienne's arc, uh, where we start with a lot of her childhood trauma and remembering these boys in the reach in her recent years that have been so cruel to her. As she goes through some of that, being able to own that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we just got her no chance, no choice a few chapters ago in A Feast for Crows. Before this, I think that's really important that both of them are having those kind of moments in their arc. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ugh. So proud. There's a lot of things that are, like, steadily different about Sam already. 
Proud moms. He's gonna, I bet he's gonna, he's gonna stand up to the bullies in the boarding school. Oh my gosh. Congrats, Sam. Oh my gosh. He already is. I love it. Who else will Sam thrust into a position of authority and get them? Anyways, Alaris introduces Sam and us to Archmaster Marwyn, who wears a chain of many medals around his thick neck, looking more like a dockside thug than a maester. His head is too big for his body, his jaw thick, and he is short, squat, heavy in the chest, with a round beer belly straining at his jerkin. White hair sprouts from his ears and nostrils, and sour leaf stains his teeth. He also had the biggest hands Sam had ever seen, and he has seen hands like hams, fists like hams, pounding at him before. He yanks Sam in to the large round room full of books and scrolls and tapestries and maps with a fire burning in the hearth. There's something about his description and his introduction, right, Marwin, and his introduction is not lost on me that it kind of is like you meet the elder brother right and he doesn't look like what he is he looks different than what he is and same with septa maribald that they were probably warriors right before this uh and marwin doesn't seem the type to have wanted to take up a book he's very thick we've heard about him for a very long time he trained miriam azdur kyburn uh you know respects the fuck out of him wrote books that were read by the reader as we talked about in our asha chapters and we'll talk about today and he's now working closely with Alaris slash Sorella. Very well connected. We have seen Marwin throughout the books. His book that he wrote, he's an author. He's going to get you to try to buy his book, so sit tight. The Book of Lost Books. Already sounds like a scam, Marwin. Uh, the accounts of his travels are confirmed reports, basically. And they actually have confirmed some of the stuff that there are no living animals in a shy because he went to a shy. We don't have a lot of characters that have kind of, you know been that far besides what you're on he claims he has three pages of signs importance as well the dragon dreams from danis and some of the prophecies we'll talk more about that in a bit when marwin leaves because i do have something to say about that it's a great entrance for him formal entrance absolutely a whirlwind of a man i'll never unsee him thanks to poor quentin as rick from rick and morty uh the beer belly really sticks out this time Mm -hmm. literally uh it's very visceral i can just see it in my head I'm very taken by his straightforward, no-nonsense, no-bullshit attitude on this reread and, and how he might be a little blinded because of that, too. Yeah. And besides Euron, also, allegedly, Melisandre of Ashai, it's in the name, but yeah, different right, body right. type as Rick, but same energy. I Absolutely. That's such a great description. Mm-hmm. The puke at the mouth kind of thing, you know, the dribble. The, yeah. Uh, the, the old person dribble going on. I mean, there. I could see Marwin being like, I'm Pickle Marwin, you know? Yeah, I can see that. He has that energy. Yeah. The only other light in the room came from this tall black candle, which is unpleasantly bright. The flame doesn't flicker even when Marvin slams the door shut. We have this description of the light did something strange to colors too. Whites were bright as fresh fallen snow, yellow shone like gold, reds turned to flame, but the shadows were so black they looked like holes in the world. Sam found himself staring. The candle itself was three feet tall and slender as a sword, ridged and twisted, glittering black. Is that obsidian? said the other man in the room, a pale, fleshy, pasty-faced young fellow with round shoulders, with soft hands, close-set eyes, and food stains on his robes. Call it dragonglass! 
Archmaester Marwin glanced at the candle for a moment. It burns, but is not consumed. What feeds the flame? asked Sam. What feeds a dragon's fire? What feeds a Charmander's fire? Fuck, that's a great question. It is a good question. I think I, I learned that. I learned that when I was a kid. That was in an episode, wasn't it? They might have told us. I just know you can't let the flame go out, and that's why No, because then it dies. Yeah. yeah. It's fucked up. And he had to let the Charizard go to, you know, find himself. The Charizard was so short. And he came back. Yeah. They're best he was, friends. He was a shorty. It's beautiful. I actually really love the Charizard arcs. The Char is arc. Charizard, yes. Ugh. Great philosophical questions, honestly. Like, what feeds the flame? I don't know. What fucking feeds a dragon's fire? We're trying to find out and then capitalize on it. Uh, Marwin hops a squat and he's like, Sam, Valyrian sorcery was rooted in blood magic or fire magic. The sorcerers at the Freehold could see across mountains, seas, deserts with a glass candle, enter a man's dreams, give them visions, speak to others across the world, all from the candle. He asks Sam if he thinks, the Slayer, if he thinks that that may be useful. And Sam's like, well, we wouldn't need ravens anymore. Marwyn asks for Sam to tell Marwyn the story that he told Alaris. That he knows much and more of it, but he wants to make sure he has all the gory details. And of course, he tells him that Maester Aemon believed Daenerys was the fulfillment. Not Stannis, not Rhaegar, nor the prince that had his head dashed against the wall. That we're going to hear more about in A Dance with Dragons, right? Mm. Born amid salt and smoke, yada yada. Marwyn knows the prophecy. He's like, don't speak to me you know, of the of the fucking prophecy. I know of it. I was there when it was written. No, he wasn't. I mean, he says he basically says the same thing. I mean, basically, yeah. He says, Gorgon of Old Geese once wrote, a prophecy is like a treacherous woman. She takes your member in her mouth and you moan with the pleasure of it and think how sweet, how fine, how good this is. And then her teeth snap shut and your moans turn to screams. And that is the nature of prophecy, said Gorgon. Prophecy will bite your prick off every time. So true, bestie. Oh my God. So true. So real, Marwin. <sighs> this is interesting. Marwin is super realistic so i'll give him that the glass candle does not seem to be akin to melisandre reading the fires right like melisandre has a clouded version of the glass candle this is the real deal like an actual visual tunnel to just see things happening or do things with it cast visions read visions see things uh i think it's important that george shows us that weirwood earlier with the ravens positioning sam to be spied on by bran blood raven maybe Euron. And now we're seeing another form of these direct visions through the candle, right? It almost makes Melisandre's magic a little diluted in the face of, like, being able to click on the TV candle and just take a look or put something out through it. It's interesting that Game of Owns, last week, we talked about A Feast with Dragons with Zack, and they put this chapter close to the very end of their series in their read-through. Uh, they changed it to The Sacrifice, Victarion 1, The Ugly Little Girl, Cersei 2, Tyrion 12, the Kingbreaker, the Dragon Tamer, John 13. Oh, I get that. Oh. Uh, Samuel 5, and then the epilogue, the Queen's Hand, and Daenerys. It basically gives you a little bit of magic at the front there, right? And gives you the travelogue distance in between this chapter and those, but then positions all of this magic happening around it and makes this chapter completely magical. Personally, you were talking about the brand chapters earlier. I would have moved this to be next to a brand chapter, next mm. to the visions. I think that would, and maybe that would give away the whole game, but I feel like that would be Game such a highlight of Thrones, yeah. 
I I see that. Yeah, it would make sense next to it. and because there's a lot of shared themes, right? Again, with that mm-hmm. with that brand chapter and like the connections between Aemon and Blood Raven. You were talking earlier about you know the weirwood being reminiscent, and you know they talk about how yeah, Aemon was like the oldest living man in Westeros and knew the most history and it's like well i mean i guess technically blood raven's not in westeros if you think about it but uh, even older than aemon more access to history and stuff too because you're kind of like wait that's not true kind of um and so yeah and i i like that idea i didn't think about that that the glass candle part of what makes it so much better than looking in the flames is because you got as you said, a flame that holds still and is clear has way better resolution is basically what I'm being told. Um, it, it's true. It does sound like that. They're like, yeah, the colors are way brighter. It's better resolution, dude. And like, of course, you're not going to understand what you just fucking watched if you have to adjust the bunny ears right? every few seconds, right? Melisandre doesn't have the best connection. She doesn't have a good signal. Yeah. She's reading in maybe a you know, lesser version of how to read it. Maybe there are better ways for her. We could teach her. Yeah, Melisandre's got, like, dial-up, right? And she's just waiting for it to show up, and it never fully loads. Yeah. That's her. And yeah. I yeah. I like that you brought in that line about prophecy. People love talking about this line about what Gorgon of Old Geese said about prophecy. But it's kind <laughs> of funny that this is the book where we really start to get... An, view into Cersei's psyche and mm-hmm. I mean in many ways Cersei is that treacherous woman and she is not gaining any pleasure whatsoever from <laughs> this prophecies that she got as a child like I she never got a chance to ever savor it and think oh how sweet how fine she was like I regret this from like the moment that it happened I don't know if she knows she regrets it but she does <laughs> Uh, so it's true i feel for her yeah she's like i'm gonna marry the king and then that blew up in her face anyway so alira steps up saying aemon wanted a maester sent to danny to counsel her and marwin says maybe it was good that aemon died before old town or else the gray sheep might have tried to kill him and made the poor old dears wring their wrinkled hands we have a great great little passage here Marwin smiled a ghastly smile, the juice of the sour leaf running red between his teeth. Who do you think killed all the dragons the last time around? Gallant dragon slayers armed with swords, he spat. The world the citadel is building had no place in it for sorcery or prophecy or glass candles, much less for dragons. Ask yourself why Aemon Targaryen was allowed to waste his life upon the wall, when by rights he should have been raised to Archmaester. His blood was why. He could not be trusted no more than I can. Yo, this is some, look, some conspiracy theory shit going on here, right? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a lot of truth and knowledge that we have not done enough acid to listen to. You know what I mean? Like, what? They tried to kill the dragons? Now, I do have some questions because... As you and I both have, we've read Fire and Blood. I would say that the dragons dying out kind of felt more like self-fulfilling 
there in that the Targaryens maybe had a civil war that killed a lot of them. And then there was also that whole time where, you know, all of King's Landing's commoners came out and was like, what if we killed all the dragons because we're supposed to? And they stormed the dragon pit. Now, what Marwyn is suggesting is an alternate history of events here, right? That it was actually the maesters that plotted to make this happen, weakened them, etc., etc. Now, I used to feel like maybe it was more the fire and blood stuff, but that line earlier that we get going all the way back to the novice getting put in the stocks for stealing food from the kitchen. That really stood out to me that like, A, why was he stealing food? It seems the Citadel is pretty well provisioned. Hmm. B, why are we jailing him for stealing food? Right? And it makes you wonder about this place as an institution and what it's covering up. Like when you think about how the Night's Watch is covering up that great mystery of what's beyond the wall so that people don't have to deal with that. There are great truths and power in some of the mysteries they study at the Citadel. And I'm sure some of those truths and powers are probably very awful and they don't want them to get out. So I feel like the novice in the stocks could just be the kind of the tipping point because Marwyn here even kind of implies like, oh, they'll kill you. You know, bro, if you think about this stuff out loud, they'll just kill you. If you get too close to the truth, man, so you just got to find the truth, man. Uh, It's just interesting to think that Old Town is like thinking to preserve life, right? Keep the dragons away to keep the wars from happening and not decimate Westeros again. But as we watch the gray rats from the story, and we even have like Barbary's own damning thoughts on them, as well as seeing them imprison their own for food, stealing food, just makes you wonder what these ulterior motives are. Yeah. It is, I mean, yes, the Targaryens did that on their own, and by that I mean us in our civil war, but Mm -hmm. it seems like the implication is they kept them from returning, right, after that civil war Mm -hmm. and everything that happened, and I wonder how far back it goes, right, because now I'm, like, thinking, and, like, like, what if they saw a... You know, a prophecy or something that was like, if the dragons ever dance again, everything's going to fall apart because we did see, you know, someone have a vision that was basically like that in one of the Aryan Mm -hmm. um, sample chapters. But, you know, speaking of people named Darren, we did have a Darren. Anyway, so I'm just kind of wondering, like, what if they're also, like, doing this because they're going off of a prophecy, too? Which would be kind of ironic. Well, that's kind of what it seems like. Like, they're all going off of a prophecy. Everyone is, but they're all interpreting it themselves. Like, we had Marwin just give that speech, and he's like, fuck prophecy. And then he's like, I'm a head out because of prophecy, though. (laughs) You know, like, history was like, bye. I'm a head out. Yeah. Um, and, And that's what he says here. He says he'll go to Slaver's Bay in Eamon's place. He's like, I'll do it. Someone has to, so it will be me. Uh, And he'll go on the ship that brought Sam the Slayer. It's like, the gray sheep will send their own men, but I'll get to her first. Will you, though? He tells Sam to stay. Forge your chain. Forge it quickly. He'll be needed back at the wall. Yeah. And, I mean, again, Sam's had 15 years to forge a chain. I think he should be down by now, but anyways. So he tells the pasty-faced novice... That was already in his room to find Sam a dry cell, and Sam sputters, asking what he's to say to the other archmaesters, and Marwyn says what they want to hear, that they're smart and clever, that Aemon commanded, he put himself at their hands, and I'm like, oh, Sam's had practice with doing this already, um, when he 
swung a whole election. Anyways, but say nothing of dragons or prophecies unless you fancy poison in your porridge. Hmm. 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 So we talked about how Asha's POV, we learn uh, Marwin claims to have three pages of signs importance, which is Danis's dragon dreams, right? With the doom, everything, all the good shit. All the good shit is in those dreams. We want to know what that is. Uh, I kind of think it's absolute corroboration that he gets up to get the fuck out right here. And he's like, all right, thanks, Sam. Thanks for the corroboration. Just wanted to get the thumbs up that what you heard was the same as what I heard. And I'm going to go act on that now. Uh, He took one third of Sam's story. He didn't even finish the whole story, right? He cut him off and he said, so it's true. I must go to Slaver's Bay and be an Archmaester hero. I also want to speculate that those three pages of science importance seem to have some sort of variation of the prophecy, right? Some sort of variation of the prince that was promised prophecy. They seem to be the three pages. Uh, it's pretty safe to assume that this is on a, like we've talked about, on a thematic and narrative level, these stories are all running around this prophecy. So Marwin has seen and researched similar things to what Sam is telling him. Uh, and now he's come to his conclusion that it's time to make his move. Maybe some of his hatred for maesters is blinding, right? I guess once you've seen the truth, that probably changes who you are and how you kind of associate with your colleagues. But there is something interesting here that, like, Marwyn is responsible for some of the monsters in the story. Right, Miri Mazdur, Kyburn. People doing great things, but horrible things. He's also harboring a faceless man that he is not. Maybe he has realized that Pate isn't Pate, but it seems he hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, and his club also has Lazy Leo in it. So like Lazy Leo's not awful yet. We don't know if he's horrible, but we know he bullied Sam when he was younger. So he's horrible to me and I don't like him. I just wonder about his perception of those around him because he's so focused on prophecy. It, it really seems that like he's got the the dog with the bone in front of him and he's chasing the bone and it's all the people he's amassed around him to support chasing that bone but the next question i have is if he reaches danny is he going to even be able to affect her plot is he going to even reach her is he going to be blinded by things around him that's such a great point about like what we've seen of marwin's effects through miri mazdor and kyburn because i mean it doesn't if these people learn this shit from Ky- from Marwyn. I'm like, Marwyn does not seem then to really care that much about people, I guess. Yeah. Kyburn got kicked out. It makes me wonder, like, did Miri Mazdor leave then intentionally, right? Because Miri Mazdor was acting as a healer for a lot of that time. And she mm-hmm. says she did the actions that she did to Daenerys' child in order to save her people. She's like, Marwyn, I don't like your shit. So I don't, I don't know. Like, and... It's possible that Marwyn... I, I think Marwyn could affect Danny's plot. Maybe not positively. Exactly. Like, but we'll see. I'm worried. Especially because Danny's probably going to have some dancing of her own with some of these other characters he's affected at some point. Whether positive or negative, right? You have uh, reading it in Ash's plot, having that come to the surface. You have Kyburn possibly being around for Danny coming to Westeros. Who knows? You never know. Uh, if the, the show had any fun ideas, Kyvern makes the big dragon killing machine again. Hmm. So, you know, just interesting. Very interesting. I don't know what yeah. to expect. Uh, I'm worried that, you know, in a sitcom, it would be a lot different. This isn't a sitcom. I know exactly how it would go in a sitcom. 
I am worried about his effect for Danny. It could be, I mean, beware the perfumed Seneschal. It's not him. Could be anyone, though. Could be anyone. I will say, uh, you did point out Lazy Leo is he bullied Sam. I wonder if it'll be like one of those arcs, right, where they become really good friends in the end. Oh, like Heil Hunt and Brienne? Uh, no, not, not, not quite like that. More like, um... Mm. Well, I guess he didn't neg him romantically. No, I think it was just, you know, childhood bullying. Not as bad as his dad bullied him. Ass, <sighs> yeah, that's true. It doesn't help that's when true. your parent's not on your side, you know? Yeah, out there being like, oh, he just said you were dead. Yeah. Fucker. Marwin tells the Sphinx to look after Sam, and off he goes. Uh, or as Chloe might put it, off he fucked. And Sam is <laughs> bewildered, asking, uh, where is he going? And Alara says, to the docks, that the mage did not believe in wasting time. And I'm just like, Marvin's just like an NPC. You know, speaking of video games, he comes, he says his whole thing, and he's like, off to go, on my quest, <laughs> see you later. Yeah, it was very reactive. <laughs> it was like, boop, bye. Very Made up his mind. strange. Not the most elegant of, I guess, George's plotting, but, you know, thank God we got that uh, moved forward. In fact, uh, Alaris has a confession. Our meeting, Sam, was not a coincidence. The mage saw Sam coming in his candle and sent Alaris to grab him. Uh, the pasty-faced novice says, Also, there's an empty cell under his in the West Tower leading to Walgrave's chambers. If, you know, if you abhor the quirking. And I'm like, okay. Alright, so maybe, I don't know. I have to rethink some of the things that we said in the past few chapters, mate chapters maybe Eamon didn't have dragon dreams maybe it was glass candle visions which I know other people have suggested too but like I don't know maybe he did I don't know I don't know it's ambiguous also there's a view of the honey wine very exciting the novice wants the novice warns that the stones turn cold at night and so he's gonna bring Sam what woolen coverlids which is very nice I mean Sam's very used to cold but whatever and we have these lines there was something about the pale, soft youth that he misliked, but he did not want to seem discourteous, so he added, My name's not Slayer, truly. I'm Sam. Samuel Tarley. I'm Pate, the other said, like the pig boy. <laughs> like the pig boy. That is the best yeah. part of that. Like the pig boy. But I'm not actually the pig boy. Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. <sighs> Especially, You know, yeah. that is... That is some stuff right there. That is, I'm like the pig boy. He ain't. That ain't him. We we know. We've been there. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. But we've been yes. there. Pate is there. And, and my husband thinks it's just to steal the dragon book, maybe. But he is sticking around. So it makes me think he's being set up for something bigger narrative-wise. Especially because we have like the maesters on one side, Euron and Sam's kind of possible brewing feud on another. And then you also have the faceless men coming in. Uh, I don't know. Sam feels a weird aura around him, right? He mislikes him. Sam already has noticed something's off about this guy. And we end on this reveal that we know it's him, but Sam doesn't, which is great because we're told in the prologue we are not really given much about Pate, except that he's pink-necked and he has gold hair. We don't learn anything about him beyond that. So, like, you don't get a view of his face or what he looks like. You get a view of everybody, though, around him, really detailed. You get a view of Alaris, of Lazy Leo, of the alchemist. You know, here he's described as pale and soft, which 
almost feels bloodless in the description, hmm. right? Which would maybe explain, like, you know, since it's his face drained of blood on a faceless oh. man's face. Interesting. Yeah. I thought it felt like a detail that might be in there, and I might just be making it up and imagining it. Uh, since, you know, Pate seemed more full of life when we last met him, and now he's very much so not full of life, as we know. Yeah. Or maybe just Pate saw himself that way. Clearly, Pate had a very different view of himself than maybe other people did. What if everyone was always <laughs> like, I hate that incel? <laughs> probably. I mean, probably. We'll discuss that more when we get there. But Valsal. Valsal. Yes. Kinda, yeah. And I kind of wonder if... I, I always kind of wonder this about the faceless men. Can they change their height? I always want to know. I always want to know. And... I think it's all about illusion, right? It's all about illusion. When we look at, like, what Arya's learning, and then you look at, like, Melisandre, right, and her bag of tricks, it feels yeah. like about illusion. It's both. They're using both. They're using all of the skills that they've learned, mm -hmm. right? Because we learned that at the... Yes. From the faceless men that they learned all those skills. And... I mean, if this guy was going to be next to Marwyn, no wonder he had to take Pate's face because Marwyn has a sharp eye probably and would have seen through the glamour. And I know that our friend Thunderclap asked on Patreon if we think that this faceless man might be Zondo, but I, I'm going to be honest. I think we have a very clear answer of who this faceless man is. Yes, we have met mm -hmm. him before, and I didn't come up with this. Many other people have, because we have indeed had not just 15 years. I, I really gave you a rounded-down version when I said how much time Sam has had to get his chain, get his <laughs> uh, maester's chain. It's been 16 to 17 years, all right, since the Feast Help. for Crows came out. Help. And so a lot of people have had time to discuss this. And the Faceless Man, a.k.a. the Alchemist, that we see in Pate's prologue, is pretty much almost the exact same description of the one in Arya's chapter, of Jacques and Hagar as he's leaving Arya. So I, I think that's another way that it ties really nicely and neatly with Sam having met Arya and again, creating those connections between uh, these, these chapters. And of course, we see that same alchemist and paid like biting the coin right and it gives us that like tie of that like action that motif when we see Arya also do it in her chapters so i think those are meant to like remind us hey these are the same yes these are the same faceless men so it's not zondo i'm i'm pretty very sure it's jacques sure. and hagar <laughs> yeah I, I thought that jacques and hagar and the coin and the connection with the alchemist and we'll revisit this when we get to this prologue uh, i thought it felt very very like, I, I caught the connections. I was like, aha, aha, now he's in Zeb's plot. Uh, and, and it's so clever because we catch it, right? And only we know. And you're like, no, Sam, he's right behind you. Take out your AirPods. I, I think narratively at this point in the story, I mean, look, we only have eight more books left. Oh my God. So, like, we can't just keep, we can't keep adding mysteries. I think there are some things in the series that are fun to speculate on. But I also think it's very obvious when, like, some of these narrative choices are, you know, we only have so many stories left to tell. We got to get somewhere with them. Yeah. And I will say that, like, you know, yes, this Pate seems very off and scary. But, like, what if he ends up being cool, right? Jockin ended up being, like, a total homie to Arya. That's my question, though, is what's his endgame of Thrones? And why is he here? And to be a homie. is he going to make life shitty to Sam or be a homie? Yeah. I think he's That's what I want to know. Yeah. 
you know, as we kind of discussed the outro for Samuel Tarly of his future, what's coming in the future, that's one thing I definitely want to know. And I'm excited that this was the last chapter because that means there's no lightning round for our outro, Eliana. This is it. We could technically say like the John stuff and whatever, but also we did the John chapters and you can just go listen to those. I mean, but he's not, yeah, he's not in this book. So technically this is it until the next book. Yeah. I think it's a great bookend, especially with the prologue. You could see what George wanted to kind of affect. It's so perfect with build up. There are so many hints littered to what we can expect for his chapters in The Winds of Winter. And I'm sure we'll be wrong on half of it because <laughs> A, we're not poor Quentin. But B, I'm sure I'll be wrong on some of those like old town like thoughts and theories. Uh, but man, it pisses you off. Like if I had to wait for A Dance with Dragons, thankfully I did not. Uh, I was catching up during that time period. It was already out. Uh, if I had to wait though, I probably would have been pissed because this is yeah. a good chapter, a strong chapter. You feel the hype. You're in a brand new location. Uh, I don't want to go too far in the prologue since we'll get there, but I love that Pate opens up as a version of Sam, miserably mm. in love with a girl despite his circumstances of not really supposed to be loving, tending to an archmaster that's losing his wits and senses, and then he gets brought into the matrix of wanting to make something happen in his life, frustrated, and dies. Right, which Sam, thank God. Whew, thank the gods. He's here. He's good. He's Gucci. Something is so striking, though, about how Pate wanted to get out and marry Rosie and run away from all of this. And Sam is doing quite the opposite, right? He's running to his duty. He got to that shore, to that horizon that Koja Mo told him to look at. He fought his way to this shore to be with Gilly, to find the truth in King's Landing for Aemon's memory and John, and find bravery within him once more. And poor, poor Pate doesn't quite see that light. Yeah, it's. I like what you said of Pate sort of being like a dark reflection of Sam, and it was a weaker echo, right? Yeah, yeah, and kind of throws what Sam wants into like this contrast, and really helps us see more. You know, Sam wants to do his duty, unlike Pate, mm -hmm. right? And Sam has seen that him doing his duty is the only way to really save like Gilly and the babe. And, but there is something interesting here about Pate wanting to marry Rosie. I was listening to the Radio Westeros um, analysis of Sam, and as as everyone knows, a lot of Samwell Tarly's inspiration comes from Samwell from Lord of the Rings. And isn't like Samwell Samwise? Sorry, Samwise comes from Samwise from Lord Jesus of the Rings. And Christ, but you know every character yeah. in Naruto, every single one. No, I don't. Fucking no, I don't. There's Christ. so many Fucking of them. Christ. There's so many of them. I don't know all the frogs. George could never. <laughs> George could never. Um, but like, isn't isn't Samwise's like girl mm -hmm. back home yes. named Rosie? Yes. Yes, so, that is the whole little joke. Yeah. And she's got blonde ringlets, and she's short, and she's merry, you know? Indeed. Yeah. But not that merry. Yeah, very similar. No, no, nor Pippin. <laughs> See, well, I know the, name. I know the, the names of some characters. Look at that. Look at that. You smiled. You showed recognition. She <laughs> smiled, folks. <sighs> Let's talk about the future of Sam as we close out, right? I think we've got a lot in the future to look at. Uh, Old Town in general. Old Town is going to yes. be a setting for the Winds of Winter someday. Laris slash Sorella being here. I want to examine those motivations a lot closer in the future. Yeah, I think we're going to get a chance to do that in the prologue episode. So 
I don't know. We're, we're going to get there soon. So we'll just think about that later. We'll talk about them in a few weeks. So tune yeah. into our prologue episode. You're on Greyjoy, though? Obito Uchiha? Obito Uchiha? I need a divorce from you. I, I'm quitting <laughs> this podcast. Uh, I don't even fire you anymore. Uh... I just quit it myself. <laughs> It's the only way to free yourself. You have to remove yourself from the system. Dessert, dessert. I like the idea of of Sam being able to be bring down the downfall of Euron Wright. Uh, personally, I've always kind of subscribed to some of the theories that Bran would be frying him with his mind, maybe, and Danny would be frying him with her dragons. And I don't think I ever really considered Sam killing Euron or being the cause of his death before before this uh, slow reread. Yeah, and I mean, you linked me, um, and I do think that this makes a lot of sense, right? You were talking about uh, Genghis Kazoo's thread on Reddit, which mm-hmm. I think this did win one of, or it was definitely nominated for one of the best of 2021. Mm-hmm. I know because I had to help compile, not had to, I, I helped <laughs> compile uh, the best of awards this past year. I don't know how Jen Snow did all that on her own. Like, oh my God, what a hero. But it's called How Sam the Slayer is Being Forged by the Narrative into the Ultimate Weapon Against Euron, which I want to point out is different from the Leviathan post I saw earlier this week. But yes. this is still a good one. This is still a good one. And it's also something that our friend Noah talked about quite a bit too, right? Sam's importance in this plot and standing against like all these uh, larger evils. Um, and Euron Greyjoy mm-hmm. definitely... Definitely is that. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy Um, of all evil. And there's something to be said of like, Sam is someone who has kind of lost, right? And relinquished his birthright as a Mm -hmm. first son, kind of forced to, right? As as the Lord, whereas Euron is kind of just trying to force himself there and gain all this power. And Sam's just like... Sam only wants it to be able to protect the people he loves, as far as we can see. Well, and that's like a lot of the Lord of the Rings point, right? Mm. Of the power, of wanting the power, is always those that are consumed by it in that story with the whole ring thing. The ring lords. If you're consumed by it, (laughs) the ring takes you over, and the desire for that power takes you over. And Sam doesn't want that. And I think that's really important about his character and him being in the Citadel. You know, being able to say, I don't want to wield this power, which is why, Sam Wise, you will be wielding this magic against everyone. Interesting. I I think we'll see him tempted by it, but in a different way, like with a twist, right? Like, we've seen him already use that power to uh, completely influence an election. And he Mm -hmm. lied. He lied a lot to do that. And I think the Citadel is somewhere where you can affect a lot of politics and he might be tempted to do some of those big changes in order to, mm-hmm. you know, save the world from Euron or who knows what else he'll see and do it, do it um, for the people that he loves or for what he sees as the greater good, who knows, but I think the wall too resistant. is so important that choosing to yeah. go back to the wall. And I think we've seen John make that choice already, right? In yeah. his desertion and coming back and choosing to go back, choosing to evacuate everyone. We might see Sam choose to evacuate everyone in Old Town that he can, and mm-hmm. we might see him choose to go back, right? We might see him get Gilly and get out. We might see them choose to get back after getting some of their knowledge. We might not see him forge everything. I hope we see him forge a lot more, though. I do. I think we would have if we had had, like, you know, the time skip, of course, but 
It can't. Yeah. We don't have that. Well, but, I do think that George will open it, you know. Yeah. I think every character is going to have a mini time skip. Not a oh, lot, have but to. enough to where he's yeah. going to be like, Sam had been doing this. I'm sure it's going to get really funny, too, at a couple points. Like, we're going to be like, yeah, George, we get it. Yeah. You know, when we get the book. And we do see, like, a little bit of that time skip, too, already from what we see of some of those characters, mm-hmm. like, for Elaine and for mm-hmm. uh, Mercy. And we also, I think, what you were saying, right, it makes sense for Sam to want to return to the wall because this person he cares about greatly, Gilly, Gilly has mm-hmm. a huge motivation to return to the wall. To go home. Her son! <laughs> And if John comes back to life, right, um, he might want his boyfriend back. So we need to yeah, get him or back. he might not. He might be like, "What the fuck? Why did you put me in this position?" <laughs> Who knows? And I think Sam will be mad if he sees undead mm-hmm. John. He'll be like, "Why did you do this to Gilly?" And I think that'll be good for them. I think it'll be good to see a little tension between the BFFs like that. God, the girls are fighting again. The girls are fighting. <sighs> Tyrell brothers, we're going to meet them, right? Like, we have to see them. Uh, Sam the Cam. Are we going to see Highgarden? <laughs> Lazy Leo's already so. in Sam's plot. And where there's one rose, you generally can find another growing. Uh, weirdly enough, he doesn't really talk about the Tyrells much until Leo. He's hmm. like, oh, this is my history. So it, it makes sense that he might have known maybe some of the older Tyrells are known of them. Maybe knew Loris, right? Loris is closer in age. Uh, that's sensible. Yeah, he probably did. He probably did grow up around them. I mean, we know that Randall Charlie hung out with all these people a lot. We saw the red line thing happen. Mm-hmm. And I will say, just in terms of like character ensembles, for again, the boarding school arc, we do need someone like Leo for our new gang of heroes. And I do think, you know, maybe usually in a show like i wouldn't be surprised to see someone like this be like i'm coming around we're like friends and the bullies like put they put things aside i'm thinking more like i'm thinking like in um stranger things but you know yeah or breakfast Club. i'm curious yeah like we said saturday detention right exactly uh i wonder what povs sam is going to meet with after this right is it going to be in the Winds of Winter? Will he meet someone? I would love a Sansa POV. Like maybe they arrive in White Harbor or something mm. at the same time at the end of the book. Uh, I just think we have to get another Stark intersection POV and she's it, right? That would be interesting. I, and you did say POV explicitly. Like I think mm-hmm. that would be fun that if he ran into Sansa and we have like seen like little inklings of mermaid things going on in Sam's arc already and we've discussed this before in some of the prior chapters it could be fun if he also ends up running into Davos and Rickon yeah that would be a blast so the big daddy of them all oh my god not Euron Greyjoy (laughs) other daddy fuck Um, sorry it's hard to keep track father father god less sexy good good oh Take it back. I don't want it. We don't want it, but we have to get it because we also want to see Sam. We want to see Sam grow, right? Mm-hmm. And like during our Rob POV discussion on our Patreon episode, we discussed how I see Catelyn in many ways as one of the main antagonists of Rob's story in terms of like she's not evil or villain, but she stands in the way of 
Rob as a character, his goals and desires. And again, that's some of that like teenage rebellion stuff turned up to 11. George likes to do that. But for Sam, I see a similar dynamic, especially interestingly, you know, he is also John's brother. And it's it's similar, but Randall is actually a villain, right? Sam's main antagonist for his personal storyline and growth. It's not the others. And like, even though as many people have pointed out, and also as Radio Westeros pointed out, Sam is likely poised to play a big part in this narrative as a hero against Euron. Like, I, I just don't see Euron as being like as big of a villain for Sam as Randall is, right? Because we've seen Sam's, Sam had to start his storyline standing up to like John who basically represents a family member all right but it's in a safer spot because John is someone who knows and loves him but Sam is risking their friendship in doing that that's that's a big deal and then he goes up against pretty much like the scariest thing ever which is the others and then also the political leaders in the night's watch and you know, then Sam learns about finding courage to care for the people he loves during this ship journey. And and I think Sam's been building up a lot of experience to go up against his big bad, which is Randall. And I think it's going to be for himself and for the people that he loves somehow. And I think Euron's going to be a cakewalk after Randall for, for Sam, to be honest. Yeah, because that's the point, right? Like, I agree with this so much. It's all been leading to him. Uh, as he said earlier, right? Like, I could do this. I could do yeah. this. Randall is scarier than Euron to yeah. Sam. Uh, he looked at that flag and was like, huh, don't know what that sigil is. Better move on. He's he's good. He's going to survive this. I mean, God, if anyone survives this story, it's Sam and Gilly, dude. Uh, those two kids deserve it. They will They will survive it. I don't think that George could possibly put them through the ringer much more than he's going to next book. I don't know about the babies, uh, but I do think Sam... I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that right now, Eliana. It's not important. That's not important. Don't want to hear that. Uh, definitely scarier than you're on to Sam. And it's funny because I think it won't be, right? Like once he can conquer Randall, Sam can conquer anything. And then choosing... Again, to go back to the family he chose, to the brothers at the wall, I think that's going to be really beautiful. I do think he's going to get interrupted, though, in all of this by Euron. He's probably going to see his dad because of that. Oh, interesting. That Euron drives him that way. Or that he flees and his father's camp or something, he comes upon it. Yeah. I wonder if, like... Something. It comes back around to everything, right? So, Randall absolutely is, I think the big bad of Sam's storyline. But what if we get a twist, the human heart in conflict with itself, and we're starting to see him uh, begin to feel some resentment towards John. John's going to be a little different, and I think things are going to get a little complicated with the Daenerys uh, romance as well. Not exactly like in the show, but I think we might be seeing like some inklings of how things go there. Is Sam going to have to learn to stand up to John again, and a different John than the one that he started the story with? Mm. Yeah, that is definitely a place that it could be taken. Uh, I think that Sam is going to play a lot of that moral consciousness that John has lost, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, coming back changes UBC, how it's changed Stoneheart. 
maybe ice will preserve, as we've seen from Maester Eamon's body, that he thinks the wall is why he survived. Maybe yeah. that will preserve John, and maybe he won't quite be as gone, as far gone as Stoneheart. However, he's probably going to come back a little rough around the edges, right? Not going to be rough. a pretty Jon Snow boy anymore. Oh my god. You're not your pretty boy Jon Snow anymore. Um, he's going to come back a little colder. <laughs> and... <laughs> I expect to see that reflect on how Sam's attitude toward him changes and Sam probably holding him a little accountable emotionally for a lot of things. Yeah. You know, families, sometimes they they butt heads and this is Sam's chosen family. We love a chosen family arc. I hope Sam's been getting good at archery, so I hope that motherfucker just pops one in Euron's eye. He knows other eye. <laughs> I really impress. It is impressive. It does kind of look like a target if you think about it. I want to see what's under that eye patch. What if it's nothing? He's just like, smiling eye. It's his bright blue eye. He's just being silly. He's it's like daddy's uh, other eye. He's just like I wanted to cosplay. Uh, oh my gosh, Sam Tarly, you're on Greyjoy, Bran Stark, all these characters milling about. We have, what, four characters, five characters milling about coming up soon in yes. our prologue chapters. So get buckled up for that. We say goodbye to Sam today for now goodbye, on his published Sam. chapters. Goodbye. It's the Bye. last Sam chapter for the past 16 to 17 years. Eliana, we didn't ask. None of us asked for that information. None of us. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back. We'll be back, gosh, in May. In May with a prologue, and uh, mm. after we get that prologue out for you, we'll move on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. So keep your ears peeled for any guests coming up. Yes, and if you want to keep track of when those episodes come out or who those guests will be, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter, or perhaps you have thoughts you would like to send us. You can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com yeah make sure you subscribe to us on the platform near you that you stream your podcasts from whether that is spotify google play stitcher acast itunes <laughs> iHeartRadio, pandora audible we're on all of them check it out give us a google or podbean where we're hosted i keep forgetting audible has podcasts I'm so tired i don't know i don't know where we are I believe, I believe so wherever long. that you've said. Um, and also, mm -hmm. we are always on Patreon, of course. Patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And patrons in the stranger tier and above, $5 and above, do get bonus episodes every month. And this month is April Fool's. Yes. And of course, next month we'll be visiting the His Dark Materials worlds once more. However... If you are in the Thunder tier or above, you have access to Brunch and Happy Hour. This month it'll be April 24th at 11.45, either online or in real life at Ice and FireCon. We'll see you then. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Clanira Targaryen. You really said it again. Interesting. I sure did. Interesting. You really decided- I've got the disease. I've got the disease. You decided to own that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I have been another one of your hosts- Eliana Scent. I like that one. Thanks for listening. It makes me sound innocent. <laughs> I'm going to put you in my dungeon, Eliana. Ooh. A sexy, right? It Ooh, got sexy. sexy. As our friend Maddox says, mommy. 
my God. It's going to be a sexy war. See you guys next month.